In our last series, we preached 1 Thessalonians, a book that lifts up the faith, love, discipleship, and leadership of that great church. 1 Thessalonians also touched on the subjects of death and the end times and how we should live to be ready for them. 2 Thessalonians now expands that study into an intense look, first at Judgment Day, then the one the Apostle calls the man of sin and the work of Satan. Once again, Paul brings home the real point. Knowing the end should inspire us to clean up our acts, to grow spiritually, to obey God, and to endure in faith until he comes again. So we're coming to the end of this letter, like I said, in chapter 3. Um, you may recall from last week when uh, Mark talked to us about uh, chapter 2, one of the main reasons Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonian church uh, was to correct uh, faulty teaching on the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul gives just enough information to us in chapter 2 um, to uh, explain to the church that they're not quite at the point in God's timeline that they thought they were. And what we're going to discover as we get into chapter 3 here is we'll see how their misguided interpretation of their circumstances and somewhere some faulty teaching or some misunderstanding of some teaching slipped in there. And, they ha- and so it ended up producing some inappropriate behaviors among some of the believers in Thessalonica. So we open the chapter uh, with Paul transitioning to his final thoughts after calling the Thessalonian believers to stand firm in their faith. So verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be, and be honored, just as it was with you. In that statement, finally, brothers, pray for us, we can see Paul acknowledging the source of his success. He asks the, he asks the church, pray for me. He's acknowledging, you know, right there that, that his success depends on God's intervention. Um, he's telling the church to call on God to use him and those with him to help advance the gospel and protect them, uh, protect them along the way. And for me, it was a sobering reminder that even those like Paul, Paul, you have an apostle with this, you know, awesome talent. You know, he, he's very naturally gifted to, to share the gospel. And, but he's humble enough to realize that without God, it's not going to be successful. And he also, and, and it also points to us how those of us that we see in that light, like I, I, I don't know about your guys' church experience, but my church experience when, when it's always been just go to church on Sunday and go home and you don't really interact with a whole lot of people, you got your circle, but the pastor is not somebody you necessarily deal with on a day-to-day basis. And he, so he doesn't really come up in your consideration and your thoughts and your prayers you know, and it's something that kind of stood out to me is like, you know, our leadership, our church leadership need prayer just as much as anybody else, if not more so. You know, they, they, they sometimes get, um, you know, isolated. They feel, uh, they may feel like it's kind of a thankless service, you know, because they're always doing for everybody else. And then so we got to make sure in our minds to consider our leadership as well in our, in our prayers and make sure we support them in that. Yeah, we said that. So, yeah, basically, why, why, would, why would a church leader need prayers? Because they obviously have a God hotline, right? They got a direct line to God, so they don't need me to pray for them. But um, Paul, Paul's humble request reminds us that uh, there's a power in prayer, and that power comes from God and not the person that's saying the prayer. So, so we got to keep that in mind. Moving on to verse 2. 
And pray that we might be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. In verses 2 and 3, we see Paul kind of lays out the reality of his ministry. And ultimately, this is our ministry, being followers of Christ. And one of our scripture verses that Paul, uh, Paul, <laughs> Mark has asked us to remember, you know, is uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, commonly known as the Great Commission, where Jesus tells his disciples, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, teaching them in the, in the ways that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. So, there will be those that we encounter, as Paul did, that will not only reject God, but they'll attempt to stop the spread of the gospel. And we kind of see that even in our own government and the way we live today, how many things have happened just in the culture and the, and the laws that have come out, how, our, um, how they're counter, uh, counterproductive to the spread of the gospel. So, and Paul had his fair share of trials and run-ins with people that didn't care for what he was doing. Uh, we know from Paul's other writings, he was shipwrecked, imprisoned, beaten, put on trial, and he was ultimately killed for living out his faith. And uh, Paul will even write in, the le- in his uh, letter to the church in Corinth um, about some of his sufferings. And I want to read those to you guys because I think it's important to put in context what he's asking for them to pray for. Um, so let me read that to you. It's going to be 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 29. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who, who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? So you see how Paul, how Paul talks about his sufferings in Christ. So what are we to make of those statements when he says, Pray that we be delivered from the wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith, and that the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect us. What is he, what is he talking about there? Because it doesn't sound like Paul was protected, right? <laughs> I mean, he suffered a whole lot for, for the cause of the gospel. But what he's ultimately, I think what he's ultimately saying here is that no matter what we suffer, God is always with us that God is going to make sure that, that our suffering in his name is going to come out to something good. And we see what Paul's suffering, how he's willing to suffer for the church. I mean, this guy ended up writing the majority of the New Testament, and we as believers today still look at his life as a testament to what it means to be a Christian. So being a Christian doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer. You know, um, Sometimes we, will, we live in a sinful world, and we'll suffer the consequences of that. And we'll, we'll, we'll be at the hand of evil and wicked men at times. But God will always ultimately deliver us, uh, whether it's on this side of the coin or the next, you know. God is always with us, and God will make sure that what we suffer on this earth is not for nothing, as long as we're suffering in his name. Um, let's see. Yeah, so no, yeah, knowing these things about Paul's ministry helps us put Paul, these statements in perspective. Um, in verse, we on verse 4. 
We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. Uh, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. So Paul has a confidence in this church. Where, where is this confidence coming from? Because he's writing this letter for a reason. He's got to do some little bit of correction here. But we also have seen this letter multiple times, as, as Mark has already pointed out, how he loves, how he sees how the church is growing in the faith. He sees how their reactions, how they do life together, how they live with one another. He sees that as a testament to, to their faith. So it's ultimately their love and devotion to one another that he can see the work. It's in their love and devotion to one another that he can see the work of God. So he can make this statement that he has confidence that, that the Lord is going to um, continue to work through them because he can see it in their actions already. And in verse 5, we come across that uh, we come across that word once again that Mark loves so much, well, uh, it, uh, where it says, "May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance." What what word do you guys think is there in perseverance? Some translations may say steadfastness. I know the ESV does. Hupomone, exactly. So hupomone, that's that word again. And the way Mark describes it, it's a really awesome picture of how you. You picture yourself on top of this hill, and you're fighting off wave after wave of guys, and you're just not going to—you're you, going to give everything of yourself to make sure that 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 hill is not compromised. And what I think about too, in addition to that, is you're also doing that in a family of believers who share the same thoughts and wishes. They want the same successes that you do because we all have a heart after God. So not only am I doing this for God, but I'm also looking to my left and my right and the brothers and sisters that are fighting next to me, and I'm doing it for them. Uh, my heart is to see them succeed as well as, you know, do what, what God uh, wants us to do. So I think it's an awesome, an awesome picture of um, what it's like to be in family and fellowship with God. Um, verse 6, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every, uh, every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. So we kind of see this transition here where Paul is starting to warn the church against idleness. Uh, and where is this coming from? Well, as I, I kind of hinted at when I introduced the, the, the um, sermon this morning, Paul's commandment has to do with the behaviors that resulted from a, a misguided understanding of when Christ was going to return. Um, it's not really clear um, exactly where that misguided understanding came from. Uh, some commentators will say that actually Paul may have written a letter, a previous letter to the church, or may, and, and they misinterpreted something. They took out of context what he was trying to say. Um, one of the examples was like, Jesus' return is imminent. Well, what does that mean, imminent? Because that's a true statement, but that doesn't mean Jesus' return is soon. Imminence, imminent and soon are not the same thing, you know. So imminent is, means that's kind of the next, that's the next event that's going to happen, but when it's going to happen on God's timeline, we don't know. And Jesus tells us it's not for us to know. It's just going to come in, in the twinkling of an eye. So, so let me... I had this up here. Let me draw this out for you just to show you guys what we're dealing with um, timeline-wise, where the, the church thought we were at. So they, because of their circumstances and their surroundings, they had this belief that they were already in the tribulation because they were suffering persecution. So you have, you have on the timeline here, you have the church age, and then you have... Sometime at the ending of the church age, 
Yeah, Paul talks about the rapture. And then and then in here, that's where the tribulation begins. And then after the tribulation, what comes after the tribulation, you guys know? The millennium. Right? The millennium. So this is uh, right in here. Jesus. Re- this is where Jesus returns and rules on earth for a while. So the church thought they were somewhere in here. So, so the idleness came as a result of, um, you know, if God's going to return tomorrow or maybe next week, wh- why do I need to keep this job? <laughs> What's the point in continuing to work? Uh, you know what I mean? That, that was the attitude. That was the attitude of some of the believers, and this was what was going on. So Paul has to correct this. So Paul's command was to keep away from those who walk in idleness and were not in accord with the d- tradition that Paul left to them. On the surface, that sounds kind of harsh and like almost like an unchristian thing to do, right? To kind of leave somebody out there hanging. But what we have to understand is this is actually falling in line with what the command of Jesus was in Matthew, uh, Matthew 18. Let me read that um, for you guys. Matthew 18 Verses 15 through 17. Uh, of course, it's going to be. So, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he will not listen, take one or two brothers along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So, We've already reached that point, but we can probably safely assume that the church has already tried to address this locally. Paul is not with them, and somehow the word traveled all the way to Paul that these behaviors are taking place. So it's already escalated to the point where it's time, you know, he's addressing it at the church level in his letter. And he's saying if they still don't correct themselves, then it's time to move on to this portion where they teach, where, you know, we treat them as a, as a tax collector, a pagan or a tax collector. One of the things that's uh, important to understand about that statement is tax collectors back then were, were Jews. During the Roman times, they, they were Jews. And the reason why they were looked down upon so much is because the way that the tax collectors earned their living was through the ta- overtaxation of their fellow Jews. What the Roman church said was, well, not the Roman church, what the Roman government said, what the Roman government said was, you guys are going to be tax collectors. Caesar gets this much, but whatever you take over that amount, belongs to you. So you can see how that kind of environment would breed a, a, a level of corruption and almost, you know, and then the, almost a hatred amongst the Jewish people for people that agreed to be tax collectors because they were being, you know, ripped off by their own people. So that's that's where that comes from to treat them as either pagans or tax collectors. So yeah, Paul had already issued a warning in his previous letter and I think it's pretty safe to say that yeah, we tried to address the issue. I mentioned that already. So the goal here is to appeal to the idle person's uh, sense of connection with his or her church and family and encourage them to repentance. So we'll see as we actually move down uh, through the text. It's not, a, it's not a harsh thing where you're going to treat them as an enemy, you know, but it's something to, um, they're, 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 they're supposed to feel this connection with the family. So you're, you're telling them, until you correct this behavior, you're going to have to be separate from the family. And that, 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 la- that longing to be long is supposed to encourage uh, a repentance uh, in, the, in that person. So, verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. 
nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and to uh, toiling, so that we would not be a burden of, uh, to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. So, you know, we see Paul is obviously a lead-by-example guy here, right? Um, it's kind of a per pic uh, perfect picture of what we, we're trying to attain here at GWCC, that discipleship model where you kind of lead by example, you bring those uh, up alongside you and teach them to be like you, for them to mimic you, and so they can carry on even after you're gone. And uh, we, sit, we see in these verses that, you know, Paul was not only willing to get his hands dirty, but he's willing to sacrifice things considered a right for people in spiritual, uh, spiritual ministry. And what do I mean by that? Well, Paul, being a full-time minister, um, he, it was his right to accept the kindness of those that were willing to support him in his ministry. He was allowed to take food. He was allowed, somebody offered shelter to him. He was allowed to stay with them. Um, you know, all that support, monetary support, he was allowed to ex accept monetary support uh, as a result of him working in full-time ministry. But he chose not to take those things. Why, why did he do that? Well, we see Paul was trying to be an example for everyone. Paul's sitting here writing a letter to the church saying, you, ha you know, you don't be idle. You have to work for what you get. Uh, you know, Paul, in his wisdom, you know, knew that he needed to set that example for the church. We see that time and time again in, in Paul, and, and he always tries to, he always seemed to make it a point to experience his freedom in Christ in ways that were edifying to the body of Christ and encouraged the spread of the gospel. Um, we see Paul always tried to do his best not to be a stumbling block to anyone. Um, you, you th I think back to the, to the times where he, you know, he wrote back to, uh, I think it was Corinthians again. Like he's always found ways to try to separate themselves, and then they were trying to separate themselves for, for uh, people who were eating the wrong foods. And Paul told them, hey, eat what you want. Just because food sacrificed to idols doesn't mean you can't eat it. Um, but, also, and then he, but he also followed that up with, if your brother has an issue with it, you know, consider that. Don't eat the food in front of them. You don't want to ever be a stumbling block to somebody's, somebody's growth. So Paul always had that in the back of his mind, and we saw that he did that practice here when he was with the Thessalonians. Uh, verse, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. So he again reminds the church of the command that he gave them while he was among them. And this command was not for those who were, you know, uh, unable to work. <laughs> that would be unfair. You know, the guy sitting on the corner, he can't, you know, is disabled for some reason. Well, he can't work, he can't eat, buddy. You know, that's not how it worked. It was for those that, uh, you know, were able to work but were unwilling to work. Um, Paul was able to give this command and remind the Thessalonians about it because he himself was willing to live that way among them. Um, you can see in Paul's, in his testimony, how, how important it is um, to always keep in mind how much our actions have an impact on our ministry. Um, Paul exercised a great deal of wisdom in his actions. Um, also, we notice how Paul contrasts the busybodies in verse 11 with how, how they should be behaving in verse 12. Um, when I think of a busybody, I think of somebody who's always, uh, they're saying a lot, but they ain't doing much of anything, you know. They want to tell, oops, they want to tell everybody how... <laughs> 
how they um how they should do their work. But when it comes time to get their hands dirty, they're always you know somewhere else. They always want somebody else to do the work. And and Paul uh, Paul tells them in uh, verse twelve to just uh, settle down and earn earn the bread you eat. And uh, I think in the English Standard Version, if anybody has that, what does it say in your English Standard Version? I think it says to keep quiet. I think it tells them to keep work quietly. Yeah, work quietly. So it's all the opposite of being a busybody. And it's not about, you know, it's it's not about look at me, I'm doing all this work and bragging about yourself. It's hey, do do work, do your work, earn your keep, and and uh, you know. Praise God for the ability that you have to work. You know that's 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 what you're supposed to do. Uh, verse thirteen. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If any if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So he almost kind of repeats what he had just said earlier about not associating with those who are practicing this idleness. Um, um, he, he encourages them. He starts out in verse 13 to encourage them uh, to continue to do good. And why does Paul do this? Well, I know for me, from my personal experience, when I'm doing all the work, you know, and I see other people that are with me that aren't even doing near half the work, but they still get the same amount of credit or still get the same amount of blessing, that's a struggle for me. <laughs> it's hard for me to continue to want to do the right thing in that situation because, you know, why should I work so hard when they get the same benefit that I do, you know? But Paul, Paul is reminding us it's not about it's not about you and what you're doing. It's about your ministry. It's about what you're doing for God. And, you know, sort of continue to strive to do good in those things despite what those are doing around you. Um, our jobs, our life, everything about our life can be a ministry to God at work, at home. And so it's important to kind of take that kind of mindset. Because um, like I said, I know for me, it's real easy to get discouraged uh, when you look at things going on around you. Paul recognizes this and offers a word of encouragement. Yeah, for those doing the right thing, keep doing it. I just said that. So, um, clo- uh, oh, and yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So Paul also g- gives them a little bit of extra instruction to make sure that they're still they're not they're still treating their brothers and sisters with love. Okay, it's it's not something that they they're trying to crush them on, embarrass them about, make them feel lowly. It's just something that. You know, you separate yourselves from them. You tell them, you tell, you warn him. You tell them what the issue is, and then you let the Holy Spirit convict that person of what the right thing is to do. Um, it's at that point, it's kind of out of your hands. I know sometimes I know I've heard it in other churches, and, and I don't know if I've personally ever experienced it, but sometimes when people fall fall down or fall short, you know. I say I have experienced it because I've been guilty of doing it to other people. <laughs> when, when people fall short, you know, and you want to point out the scripture to them right away, and you want to tell them why they're not doing the right thing, this, that, and the other thing, and then it comes out being a hurtful thing and not a helpful thing. So Paul's words here are very important, you know, to make sure that when you're when you're helping your brothers and sisters out, not to treat them as enemy, treat them as a brother or sister, and keep in mind that we're all going to fall short. We all have our struggles in life, and we all need to... We all need the uh, help of our brothers and sisters to make sure that we, you know, keep up the good fight. In verse 16, and in, in closing his letter, 
Paul says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord will uh, the Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So in verse 16, he says, ultimately says, The Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all. So that peace... Um, Paul instructs instructs them to keep on doing the good work, to stay encouraged and do work. That's where the peace comes from. The peace comes from regardless of their circumstances, they know that they're in in right uh, relationship with God. Being in that right relationship with God is where your peace comes from. So he encourages them uh, to take hold of that peace and, and says, the Lord be with you all. That's including those that are right now kind of outside of the uh, will of God by uh, choosing to live in idleness. Um, And then Paul closes with writing in his own hand. Um, Again, some of the commentaries I read said that, you know, Paul did this maybe because, you know, there was a a letter that came out that was said to be from Paul, and that's what kind of led to this false teaching, you know. But at any rate, Paul makes sure that the Thessalonian church recognizes that it's him because he has a very distinguished handwriting. And then he closes with, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So it's a, that's an awesome way to close it, I think, because here he is giving the church correction, and he's telling them how to deal with these folks that are kind of outside the boundaries. But it, and he ends the letter with, Grace be with you all. And that's how we need to live amongst each other is have grace, you know, grace with each other and and everything that we do. Um, lift each other up, try to try to correct each other when we stumble, but there's always got to be a measure of grace with that. And I love that Paul closed his letter with that. Um, and that's it. That's, uh, that's Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, I didn't go as long as probably I should have, but it's a short chapter. <laughs> All right, I appreciate it, guys. Let, let me uh, let me let me close this out in prayer here. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you uh, for your word, God. Uh, thank you for allowing uh, allowing me to um, uh, speak um, this morning, Father. Thank you for being with me and and encouraging me in that, God. Um, uh, thank you for the support of my um, brothers and sisters and um, doing this, God, and. Um, um, it's always amazing, God, how how uh, how you use people, uh, you know, to do things that they never thought they could do, God. And I, you know, I was nervous about being up here in front of friends, even though they're my peers, God. And I, I know they love me and I love them, but that's um, I definitely uh, felt that you were with me, God. And I thank you for that, uh, God. I just ask that uh, what we talked about this morning, God, that. Um, you know, Paul's ministry, not just what he says in Thessalonians, but just his whole life, God. Um, we thank you for his example. We thank you for um, uh, showing us that um, someone who, uh, who uh, you know, this, uh, despised your church in the beginning, God, and went around and killing Christians because um, he thought it was something that was supposed to be done in your name, Father. Um how you used him, um, how you used his, uh, used his fervor and turned it around into something good, God. And I just ask that um, you continue to do that work in all of us, Father. I ask these names in the, uh, ask all these things in the, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.